Today's Happy Healthy You podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash happy healthy you. Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle or MP3 player. Hi everybody, welcome to Happy Healthy You, the podcast. I'm Connie Bowman. And I'm here with a good friend of mine, Steve Ray. We are fellow actors. I met him on the set of The Next Nick, which is a film we, we worked on together a couple years ago. But Steve has been working for more than 40 years in virtually all aspects of the entertainment community. He has been on TV. He's been in film. He's done radio broadcasting. He's been an announcer at baseball stadiums. He's done a little bit of everything. Hi, Steve. Hi, Connie. Thanks for the invite. I'm really Really glad to be here to uh, share long-winded stories with uh, no end to them uh, of little or no consequence. <laughs> no, I think your story <laughs> is of great inspiration to a lot of our listeners here on Happy Healthy You. Um, yeah, like I said, we we met on set and we've actually worked together on like three films. That's right, three films. What, and, how and did that probably, happen? Probably four or five other things that we weren't together on, but we're on the same project of. So. It happens every day that I find out we make the world just that much smaller with who we know. And, and in this business and in, in broadcasting and film, if you don't know someone, you probably know of them. So we got very lucky in being able to be in the next Nick together, in being in the, uh, Geographically Desirable together, in that wonderful short film that Vic Krishna did called Mom for yes, Mother's Day. Yeah. That was terrific. And, and thank film. you for for being uh, TV wife number six. Oh, for great. Me. <laughs> well, I'm happy to be happy to <laughs> be so accommodating. So it seems pretty much like you're riding high right now. You seem to be booking right and left. We're all jealous of you. You're staying busy. What's your secret? Uh, my secret is remembering that there is a business of this business, not just acting, not announcing, not the talents involved or even the technical skills involved, but there's just as much of a career uh, path in how you conduct business, stay connected, uh, reach out and network, make the most of those network connections. By example, on the way over here today to record this, a longtime friend who I knew at WTOP, a gentleman by the name of Paul Brandis, who a lot of people remember as a uh, as a great White House reporter and foreign correspondent. Paul is on Twitter and on air around the country with West Wing reports right from the White House. And just as I was pulling up today in front of your beautiful super secret studio location, <laughs> Paul uh, sent me a little note saying, hey, I've got something that you would be perfect for, can we meet on Monday? Just out of the blue. Now, I can't give details of it, but it's remembering those friends from deep in your past, helping them when you can. And a lot of people know that I am a huge proponent of the phrase, pay it forward. Yes. Yeah. Every young actor that you and I have run into, every intern that I've had at radio stations, I have tried to do something for quietly, whether it's referring them to someone or uh, just making a little call or putting the bug in someone's ear. And by example, Sky Kirstein, who covers the Capitals for Channel 9, 
He worked with me on the Caps radio broadcast as kind of a sideline guy, pre- and post-game analysis and that kind of stuff. Uh, there are probably five or six examples of people around D.C. and radio that uh, I either ponied up and bought a meal for when they were a little tight <laughs> in the wallet or made a call for, and the actresses and actors that we work with, uh, I've done the same by very quietly saying to a casting director or to a producer or director or whoever, uh, you know what, that person would be really good in this role. Mm. Have you considered them? Or uh, as in our case with the uh, terrific uh, uh, Felicia Gonzalez-Brown, this film called The Drive was made up primarily of people that we kind of already knew in her circles, but I recommended to her an actress by the name of Shira Barton who is excellent and who has been in a, a web series with me and was in my very first House of Cards. We were both on the front line in this little press mosh scene mm-hmm. as Kevin Spacey's character, uh, Frank Underwood, uh, at the end of season one, comes down the stairs to deliver a eulogy for a character we find out in season two he actually killed. So Shira and I were the only... Real speaking roles in that press mosh, and we uh, we celebrate every time we get a residual check. But she's <laughs> she's uh, she's one of those people that I would step up and say is a great example of the success of paying it forward, yeah. reaching down yeah. and pulling somebody up behind you when you have the opportunity. Yeah, and that's just the kind of guy you are. You're a nice guy, and I I do think that nice guys finish first. I so. hope so. Yeah, I hope so too. <clears throat> so. You, you're as I said, you're riding high, but it hasn't always been that way. Uh, about ten years ago, you had a major life-changing event, and that's what we're here to yep. talk about. To hopefully give encouragement to anyone who may be um, going through anything, really anything that that kind of stops you dead in your tracks yep. and says, "Okay, what's going on here?" And and you know, you really have to reevaluate and and remake your life. Right? Talk about it. Talk you, about what happened. You do. You you have to remake your life from these uh, from these events, which is why they're called life changing yeah. events. Uh, May seventeenth, two thousand four, about ten years ago, I was coming back from Annapolis, having recorded, believe it or not, four voiceovers for the Maryland State Police for their clitic, uh, pardon me, click it or ticket program. You know the seatbelt initiative, sure. right? So I'm driving back from Annapolis. It's about 11.30 at night. I'm headed to WTOP and and then the classical station WGMS to work at midnight. And it's a light rain. There are three lanes blocked because of construction. So we're all in a single file as they're working on that eastbound, uh, pardon me, westbound on Route 50 coming back into D.C. And as the construction zone opens up, I realize there are a lot of 18-wheelers behind me, and I think, okay, maybe I should pull over a lane or two to let them by so they can get where they're going, because mm-hmm. the, obviously that's the the bulk of the traffic mess that we dealt with. Mm-hmm. As I pull over to lane two, and you, you mentally, since you're, you're on air with this, you think of the curb lane as lane one, two, three, and four to the median, to the center median, okay? So in lane two... I pull over. We haven't gotten back up to full speed, which is 65 at that at that point. Going about 45 miles an hour, and a woman who we later learn 
did not have a proper license and was not in the country legally, had her car break down. And instead of taking it to the side of the road, she left it in lane two. No lights, a dark colored <gasps> uh, vehicle, like a burgundy colored uh, Toyota. No lights, no flashers, no no road flares, nothing. She and her young daughter are on the side of the road on the curb, and I didn't see it. I mean, light rain, 11.30 at night. You really couldn't see it until you were right up on it. And I went straight into the back of her car. Now, to explain this to people as it relates to that click it or ticket spot, yes, I was wearing my seatbelt. Yes, I was way under the, the posted speed limit. But seat belts are not designed to protect your legs. They're designed to protect your chest. Because I'm 6'2", and I was in a Nissan at the time, I had an impact to the under portion of the dashboard, which essentially jammed my leg up, shattered my hip, and did other damage that we'll talk oh, about. Uh, luckily, one of those 18-wheel truck drivers saw this happen, he pulled over immediately and came over, cut me out of the, the, uh, the uh, seatbelt I was wearing, and dragged me down onto the pavement. At the same time, a Maryland State Police Sergeant happened to be going the other way, went through one of those breaks in the median, turned around right away, and, uh, and came back and immediately radioed for uh, ambulance. So, the gist of this is that when they finally got me into town and they gave me the, the choice, do you want to go to a, a hospital here in Prince George's County or do you want to go to the Washington Hospital Center, center of D.C.? I chose the Washington Hospital Center because years and years and years ago, I had uh, in high school uh, just had a simple knee dislocation and they treated me very well. And I thought, as you do in these moments, okay, what's going to be the easiest if if uh, mom has to get to you every day to visit or friends or whatever. So I said, please take me to the Washington Hospital Center. I'm really glad I did. Because, as it turns out, the doctor who did my knee dislocation back in the 70s as an intern was now the head of the Department of Orthopedics, Dr. Stephen Gunther, who was a brilliant orthopedic surgeon. And as it turns out, my little kneecap fiasco in the 70s happened to have been the first of many of those surgeries that he did. So luck of the draw, I got the man who knew this leg, uh, this right leg of mine, which, and I will spare you the, uh, the emergency room details, but the first thing they had to do was stabilize uh, my chest because of a pulmonary embolism that they found right away. They put me into a forced coma reset the hip so that they could take care of the possibility that the pulmonary embolism, essentially a blood clot that's moving, right. did not go into the atrium of the heart, which is very close to where they found it. That was caused by the seatbelt strap going very hard up against my chest. So, in the end, three long pins into the femur, the large bone just below the hip, 12 smaller pins and a surgical chain that put the hip back together, plus surgical cement to hold that. And luckily, I got through the five, six-year period where if that surgical cement fails, uh, they have to go back in. Everything's fine in that regard. There, there were, and I don't mean to jump ahead on this, but there were uh, some 
periods of rejection in that first year where I got very uh, sick. But the, the upstart of all this is that from the waist down on the right side, I'm virtually rebuilt and deal with about a 35% paralysis in the quad muscle above the right knee and some other issues that uh, kept me in the hospital for a month that had me on a, a, in a wheelchair for another six months or so, then to a walker, uh, then to a, a, a quad cane, which is one of those that you see primarily for seniors that have four points on it, and it stands up on its own, then to a regular cane. So over a period of, of uh, a year, year and a half, you go through that rehab. And the other thing that was impactful was... Uh, the psychological aspect of not being able to do what I had always done, which right. was swim, walk, be bike, active. be yeah. fairly active. I mean, I'm not athletic by any stretch of the imagination, but an active adult. And I love to swim. And this, uh, this, this had both a psychological impact and a financial impact. And that leads me to a, a particular story that we'll, we'll kind of circle back to because it's very key to the psychological impact of something like this. When we found out that the woman did not have a proper driver's license, the hospital and my insurance company said, your first bill, Mr. Ray, will be $198,000 plus. How do you intend to pay for that? Because she didn't have insurance. My insurance covered a portion of that, and this is before, and you know if you've ever been in the hospital, you get these bills separately, before any x-ray, MRI, or therapy bills. That was the basic surgery, stay, basic care to get me back together. $198,000. A representative of the hospital came to me and he said two things. He said, if you assign the hospital any award, from legal action, we will take over the legal aspect of this case. So that was a major relief. Secondly, and this is this is the bigger point, and you have to remember at this point, I had been in, in radio and in film and so forth for about 25, 30 years. He said, uh, if you uh, sign here, I'll get your uh, disability payments uh, uh, processed right away. And I said, does that mean I can't work? And he said, oh, no, 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 you cannot work. Your uh, uh, your payments will have deductions made based on other earnings or they'll be canceled altogether. You have to qualify for disability, and certainly medically you do. So uh, here, sign here. I mean, it was really kind of a bum's rush. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I said, I'm going to have to take a day to think about this. And I thought about it, and I, I, I thought to myself, I just can't do this because, as you know, and as a lot of our friends know who may be listening to this, in radio, television, film, you strive so hard to get where you are in this business that if you're gone for any length of period of, of time, if you're out of the business at all, it's very hard. You have to start from scratch and rebuild. Right, right. Okay? And I had already done that after moving back here to take care of my mom in, in uh, 1999 after spending 20 years in Los Angeles. So I came back from L.A. where I had a pretty good career going and have been rebuilding it. And uh, this was a setback I, could not, I couldn't put myself in. So basically, Steve, you 
were cruising along. Your yep. life was going swimmingly. Yep. You were a swimmer, too. <laughs> and, and an active guy and healthy. And all of a sudden, boom, everything yeah. stops. Yeah, and you literally. Really, yeah, yeah. And then you're hit with these bills. And, oh, my gosh. How, what was your state of mind at that time? I mean, My, my state of mind was, uh, and it fluctuated, and I have to be very honest, that at times because of the pain level and and at this uh, with this type of injury you go back and forth from being in a forced coma so they can do some work that your body would not accept otherwise mm-hmm. uh, and you are on a morphine drip where you have that little red button that you're pushing like you're you know trying to win in a slot machine you're hitting that button so often uh, painkillers and so forth where I said to myself a couple of times you know what just end it. Just do whatever end-of-life measures you have to, to do. And I only said that to myself. But it was the beginning of a realization that if I come through this, if I can do the therapy that they asked me to do right at the beginning here, I could probably get through this. And so you vacillate wildly swinging emotionally from one end to the other of, of the spectrum. And it wasn't until a couple of years later that I realized those were part of the symptoms, the early symptoms of PTSD. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. What are the yeah. symptoms and how did you finally come to recognize that you had that? Well, and, and I have to say, for all the, all the publicity that PTSD gets with military folks, and we love them, we absolutely love what they do for the country, and, and it's a shame that they, that they suffer from PTSD. There are many folks who go through minor or major events like I did, uh, whether it be uh, surviving a house fire, a car crash, uh, the death of a loved one, whatever it happens to be, there are triggers, mental triggers, that give you varying degrees of PTSD. When I finally was able to get my driver's license back, when I was cleared to drive again, for about a year, remembering this happened at 1130 at night in, in a light rain, for uh, for about a year after I got that driver's license back, I could not, uh, I was not comfortable driving in the rain. I was very uncomfortable driving at night in certain conditions. Anything that replicated some of those uh, conditions of the accident, I was extremely afraid of, and I really had to push myself to get through it. And PTSD is not just memory triggers, but it's it it's stress. It's uncomfortableness uh, with with various uh, situations that might have been similar to what you were in. Yeah. It's flashbacks. It's absolutely flashbacks that can be triggered just by letting the mind wander. So you uh, you um, like uh, amputees. You have muscle memory. You have certain things like that 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 can trigger it. Not as severe in my case, but yes, there was uh, mild. PTSD that affected the ability to make certain everyday decisions clearly, Mm -hmm. okay? And it took a medical professional clearly saying to me, and she's a brilliant doctor, you have these symptoms. You have to realize you do have PTSD. And like the story we'll get to in a minute about the physical recovery, the... Uh, realization that what you may suspect is true 
is a big deal. Mm -hmm. Now, we, we are much more informed as medical consumers now, simply because of sites like WebMD and so forth. And, and not, not to say that the country has become a, a, a group of hypochondriacs because of it, wow. but it's a great tool, as you know, <laughs> yeah. to yeah. be able to identify certain things that you may suspect, and you still have to go to a medical professional. But, but having that put in my face, yes, you have PTSD, uh, was a big wake-up call, as was the physical part of it that uh, well, yeah, we'll talk about. Well, yeah, because you know what you're dealing with, and you can't really start to address some of the issues yeah. that are surrounding it until you really know what you're dealing with. Now, let's talk about, in addition to the psychological and, and all of the physical uh, problems that came from this a accident, you were not able to move as well. And so there was a, a significant weight gain, yep. a diabetes that developed. And yep. talk about that a little bit. And now, right now, I'm, a, I'm a, about 6'2", 210. At the time of the accident, I was about eh, 240. A little heavy, but not so bad for the body frame. By the time I was able to really get up and start moving again, my highest weight was... And I know you don't have a drum roll, but think of one playing. <laughs> oh, now. I could, I could come up with one. Okay, yeah. on the table, uh, <laughs> three hundred thirty-seven pounds. Mm -hmm. That was the peak weight because of inactivity, muscle atrophy, all of that. And along the way, when you gain that much weight, obviously, your body changes significantly. And we found that, in addition to everything else. There was adult onset diabetes, type 2. And my doctor said to me, and here's the key phrase, if you take nothing else from this, if you're ever involved in this type of incident with your body, for every pound of weight you lose, you will take four pounds of pressure off your hip and knee. Your body frame, supported by your pelvic region, takes a, a major brunt of pressure when you are overweight. So at 337, already injured and rebuilt, for every pound of weight you lose, you'll take four pounds of pressure off those joints. That was the key. That was the ultimate wake-up call. And I started, uh, and, and they were very careful to say, you cannot go on a regular Diet, diet. You can't just call up Jenny Craig or Weight Watchers and have that mm -hmm. stuff delivered. You have to change your thinking about how you eat and when you eat. And one of the things, and, and Connie touched on this, having been the uh, the producer for the Washington Nationals radio network, uh, we ate a lot after 8 p.m. because the games are 7.05 games. And, you know, sure. I'm back to work sitting, eating late. Uh, and, you know, heaven forbid we had a Midwest or West Coast game where we're eating at 10 or 11 at night. And so uh, the, the first big leap of faith was to say, as hungry as you may get, and you're not trying to starve your body, but you cannot metabolize that food after 8 p.m. Set 6.30 as the last uh, time of day that you'll have a major meal. That was key number one number two a lot more water a lot more water your body has to flush those toxins out 
And as tough as it was at the beginning at 337 pounds, walking, I didn't get <clears throat> a handicap placard or tag from my car for almost six years after the accident. I forced myself to walk in situations where others would say, oh, take the easy way out. Just get a handicap tag and park near the door for Christ's sakes, you know? Uh, and so it was the walking, the eating, the change in lifestyle, and the increase in water intake. And I went over 18 months from 337, and that, that plateau of 300 was big, yeah. down to 280, about 240, and then to 202 was the lowest I got. And now I'm back up at about 210, but that was, uh, that was part of the immediate recovery over that 18 months because I was able to walk further. I was able to be active again to a point. I keep uh, the straight cane in the car for things like, uh, you know, runs to the airport or long walks in a mall or whatever. Mm -hmm. But other than that, completely free of all of those devices, uh, threw away the walker. Keep the quad cane around just as a memory in the corner. You yeah. know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But, uh, uh, and along the way, by losing that weight, by diet alone, got rid of the type 2 diabetes. Yeah. Which, if you That's can huge. do it. That's huge. Yeah. You know, Anybody Lipitor and metformin and all of those drugs that you have to take and insulin, humulin, all of that stuff went by the wayside. Uh, so if you can do that. Uh, if you can inspire yourself to get off your ass and move a little more, walk a little further, not eat as much. And, and, and the key was, okay, once a week, I'll treat myself to a little something. Mm -hmm. I'll eat less during the week. But if I'm, if I'm going to give up anything, at least have it around to treat myself with maybe once a week, a little ice cream or a little chocolate or whatever. We all yeah, have those vices. That's important. You can't give up so, everything. Exactly. Yeah. So it so is lifestyle. It's not diet. Let me ask you this, Steve. When you when you go back to this time and you you like see where you've how far you've come. I mean, because to hear your story, it's really pretty incredible. The things that you've overcome. Is it hard to go back there and think about like that time in the hospital? It it is, and and particularly uh, you know we have a lot of common Facebook friends, and we all do that thing every Thursday, Throwback Thursday, where <laughs> yeah. we dig up a photograph of us. I haven't done that yet. I'm gonna yeah. have to start. I'm doing waiting that, to see you in that cheerleader <laughs> outfit in high school. By the way. Uh, I know it'll never happen, but whatever. Um, uh, or at least with a party hat on. Come on, <laughs> uh, that I was going through some old photos, and I came across a shot of myself that was taken for an employer ID, where I at at three hundred thirty something pounds, where I swear to God it looked like my neck was blowing a bubble, that mm. my face was that big, and I have been tempted, very tempted, to post that picture. It, it's a subtle reminder that. You know what? Throw away the fat clothes. Uh, never go back to that again. Yeah. You know how some yeah. people put up the, the picture of themselves as, as their thinnest or best looking as mm -hmm. inspiration? Mm -hmm. No, I post that son of a gun up and say, you will never, ever look like that yeah. again. You yeah. look like the uh, Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. So. Yeah. All these things that you've overcome, you you know overcame the physical For limitations, <laughs> the mental and psychological yeah. um, problems that that came out of this accident, the PTSD. And you also have been very honest to talk about um, coming off of pain meds of so many yeah. people. I mean, nowadays, it's just everywhere. It's very easy yeah. to go to your doctor and say, I need more Vicodin. I need more APAP, which is a, a, a 
It's essentially a generic version of a uh, of a painkiller. Uh, I need more whatever. And there are a variety of painkillers out there. And doctors are so easy oh, to prescribe. They, they might as well just, just go, go to Kinko's and make up a rubber stamp to hit that prescription pad crazy. with. It's like, you know, bang, 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 here you go, next. Uh, as we see, there is so much psychopharmacology and other things like that going on that I believe they overprescribe and aren't really... Uh, they aren't really inspired to take the time to help their patients wean themselves off those meds when they don't need them. And I made a decision about three months into the recovery because I, I was going through Vicodin, I swear, like they were M&Ms. And I, I said, well, what happens if I just don't take it? Can I get through this? And I did a lot of this cold turkey without the help of medical professionals, which I, I, I recommend that you use if you can find someone who is simpatico with the idea of weaning you off that true addiction. Uh, and I did it cold turkey, and I realized, okay, with some very strong mental exercises, I can get through this, and here's what I'm going to do as I, as I, I thought this through. I will keep three or four Vicodins in this prescription bottle through the end of the expiration period. And when they expire, I'm done with them. If I need them, I need them. They're there. But cold turkey, I'm not going to reach for that bottle as I would have reached for them in the past. And I find that... Uh, that's the that's the one thing that people ask me the most about. How the hell did you wean yourself off of painkillers because they're so readily available? Mm -hmm. And and I said because I knew it was affecting my work, it was affecting my mental outlook, it was affecting my ability to not make excuses about doing things. You know, you could very easily become a shut in. Yeah. You could very easily not have gone back to work. And speaking of work, I was very fortunate that very quietly, the general manager of WTOP had collected unused vacation days from some of the other guys in the newsroom and, and uh, at the other stations in the, uh, in the cluster and was able to continually pay me once my vacation and sick days had run out. Wow. I didn't realize they had done that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Like how how, so that's a that's a great that. story about having a very quiet support system around you, and I think that that really helped me to spur the pay it forward idea. Because mm. if you're going to be given those extra days to mm -hmm. live, I could have very easily five miles faster not be here today, you know, or whatever. Yeah. The the, the road could have been slicker. So when you're given those extra days to live, yeah. you better damn sight do something with them. Yeah, let's talk about that. So first of all, what do you attribute your rehabilitation and your ability to get past this? I know it was not overnight. It took yeah. many, many years. Yeah. But you have gone through so many different healings. And now you're, and, and you're back and better than ever. Of, you know? what, what do you attribute that to? I think it's uh, some people... As we get older, we tend not to celebrate birthdays so much. I look at that May 17th, 2004 day as an opportunity every year. And I don't, I try not to make a big deal out of it, but I have a picture of the front of the car post accident. 
that I put up on Facebook every May 17th. And I look at that and I say, all right, I've gotten another year to live. I use, as I did with the fat picture, I use the worst images to inspire, to inspire me to uh, try and be better. Uh, and uh, I remember when I was uh, really in the, in the depths of the depression after this, that uh, I was a miserable SOB to a lot of people. Sure. And uh, I don't use that as an excuse anymore. But uh, I was fired uh, from uh, the Nats Radio Network and, and WTOP. Uh, it has been hard to keep stability during that 10-year period. But uh, over the past three or four years, as I build my network and, and kind of get back to being the old me, I attribute putting up the worst images and the worst memories to inspire me to never let that happen again. Mm -hmm. That's my thing. Uh, other people, they can do rainbows and unicorns yeah. and, and whatever their, their works for them. Picture. Right? Well, yeah, right, whatever right, works right. for you. Why not? Yeah, yeah. Why not? But figure out what inspires you and, and try to keep that going. Exactly. What advice would you have for someone who might might have just gotten a, a dire diagnosis or may have been through something that, you know, a breakup, even in a relationship, can yeah. send you down that, that hole of Don't be depression. alone. Yeah. Don't be alone. Reach out, get out, and do stuff, whatever it is. Just force yourself to get up every day, shower, eat. And, and, and if you are diagnosed with something, say a, a cancer or a, a lymphoma, leukemia, or whatever it happens to be, uh, keep your friends close. Don't, don't shut us out. There are a number of people at this age, I'm in my mid-50s, uh, who are coming up on a time of life when they will feel certain ailments a little worse than others. Uh, arthritis, uh, whatever it happens to be. We understand when you can't make it to a concert or go out to a movie or just be social, but uh, 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 social in public, that is. But keep in touch with us because we can help you. Mm -hmm. if, if, if you realize that you've been given the gift of even a close four or five in number circle of friends, uh, keep them informed. Um, let them be a part of your life. Stay open to that. That's what's going to help you through this more than anything else. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons I do these podcasts. We talk about some of these things, not to depress people or bring right. them down because of what other people have gone through, but to let people know that you're not alone. Everybody has a story, and yeah. everybody has certain things that they go through in their lives that take them from one place to the other. Yeah. And would you go back to that person that you were 10, 15 years ago when oh. you were just cruising through life? And well, Maybe I mean, not. Yeah. You know, I mean, because as horrible as these things are, <laughs> they change us. And in, in a lot of ways, if you allow them, they change us for the better. So yeah. let's talk about what meaning this accident has brought to your life. And uh, the, the fact that I have life uh, in and of itself uh, and 10 more years on the planet is a big deal to me. Um, now, beyond the beyond the fact that I would not have, have experienced a lot of things or reconnected with a lot of people. Just the fact that I got 10 more years to, uh, to enjoy my family, 10 more years that included seeing baseball come back to the district, 
<laughs> you know, sweet, yeah. Uh, uh, reconnecting with uh, some four hundred and fifty some folks who are about uh, about a hundred strong that I went to high school with, and another, you know, two or three hundred from our business and so forth, and and random friends that I've met. I mean, you know, there, it may not seem important to you uh, in the general scheme of things, but when you have the ability to increase that circle of friends and enjoy more things in life and experience things that say, uh, by example, my grandfather never was alive to see the internet flourish. He passed in 89. So around the time of 82, 83, pardon me, 92, 93, 94, when things started to flourish, he would have loved it because he uh, he was an avid antique uh, collector and would have been able to find a lot more things of, of uh, you know, related to what he was doing, yeah. uh, but never had the chance. So there may be something that comes along 10, 20 years after I'm gone, where if I, if I only had that extra decade, <laughs> well, guess what? I got that extra decade yeah. at least. What a great way to look at that. Yeah. That, that's amazing. And do you find that the joy in life is so much more profound because what I've learned from losing a child is that, yeah. and I've read this, that the deeper you go, the more, the higher you can go as yeah. well. And so the sky is bluer, you know, yeah. the, the friendships are more They're real stronger. and strong. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's all, Absolutely. it's all so much better. So we get a second chance at life and it's beautiful. It is. Well, I hope this story has inspired somebody, and I, I, I think it's inspiring to me. I mean, you know, we complain about little stupid things. And <laughs> gosh, Boy, do we think, ever. Think about everything you've been through, yeah. Steve Ray, and where you are now, and your book and everything, and we're all jealous of you. And Oh, the two-hour drive here. I'd <laughs> never complain about that. Or the fact that the wine isn't as cold as when I started. I mean, oh, come on. drink your wine. Yeah. Jeez, I had honey, to ply him on. with How wine treat today. Your guests? It's horrible. It's, I would never live for that. So Just what kidding. do you look for? to in your future what do i look forward to um i know you asked me first uh <laughs> I, <laughs> I look forward to making the most out of the next 20 30 years i'm really excited about the fact uh from a personal standpoint that there are so many more amateur filmmakers who can do so much with what used to be considered consumer equipment. Yeah. You know, cool? there, there's, oh, it's very cool. We know some people with great eyes and great uh, vivid imaginations who are turning little, uh, uh, you know, HD uh, Canon projects into full-on feature films. Yeah, and watch for them. So let's name, all, name some of the films that we can look forward to seeing you in okay. in the next year or so. All right. So already we've gotten to the premiere, uh, the public premiere of Geographically Desirable. That should be in theaters very soon. I know that Mike Kravinsky, our dear friend who uh, uh, has uh, kind of gotten us together as his collective uh, circus <laughs> of muses to go from film to film, uh, Geographically Desirable should be out probably by the end of summer. I believe he'll get a distribution deal for that. The Drive, which is a short SAG film by uh, Felicia Brown and Blair Bowers, uh, and also stars my dear friend uh, Shara Barton, that uh, that is a short film that will be out probably in August, I believe, late July, early August. The web series Pivot Point, uh, in which I play Dr. Max, the neurosurgeon, which is kind of cool that I get to play a doctor in a yeah. lot of things. 
Pivot Point is... Aren't you uh, kind of a creepy doctor in that one? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> because I, I actually develop a tablet that uh, increases the killer instinct of the character mm, that Shira plays. Uh, so uh, it's very action-packed, but I, I seem to bring a, a little bit of... Uh, uh, a little bit of levity to this evil old doctor. And speaking of evil, uh, some people know that I do an awful lot of work for the Investigation Discovery Channel uh, on some of their crime recreation shows. I play the lead on a show called Evil Kin with two really good actors playing my sons. Uh, Nick Dettori, who we know, mm -hmm. and Vince Eisenson, who is a, a great stage actor who's making a mark in film as well. These two guys play my sons, and Aaron Nordseth, who plays my wife. Uh, now, really, the two boys are the are the leads in this, but in, intrinsic to that story on Evil Kin, which should be out in August, is the fact that I indoctrinate these two youngsters to go and kill a gay couple and set fire to a synagogue. Oh. It was the most disgusting role I have ever oh, played. Steve, and this Steve, guy Steve. proselytizes <laughs> with a huge shaft, a prayer shawl, and a giant Bible in the middle of the street back in the 90s. And when we were filming this in a, in a neighborhood not too far away from here, we, we, we actually filmed me preaching at the top of my lungs uh, uh, as I'm walking down the street to replicate what this guy actually did in real life. And a couple of the neighbors who had forgotten that we were in this one location came out of their houses like, what the hell is going on here? And a lady who lived across the street drove up through the neighborhood, and I believe they got a great shot of her for real that they might use of her reaction to me playing this character walking up the middle of her street over in Gaithersburg pretending to be, you know, <laughs> Central California in the, in the real story, uh, at the top of my lungs delivering Leviticus's uh, sermon on uh, two men not lying together. So it's like... Oh, gosh. Uh, and the, if you can take anything away from that particular character in that story, it's that I despised it so much. I had long, long hair, shaggy look, uh, a scruffy beard, full beard. As I'm driving home, the next day, I remember it clearly because the next day, that Saturday, uh, April 12th, when we filmed this, would have been my uh, uh, my birthday. When I finished that Friday afternoon, I was driving home knowing I was going to get a haircut anyway the next day. I look over to the side of the road. There's a haircuttery. I went across three lanes into the parking lot, pulled in, and I said, Do you do hot shaves? <laughs> Yes, uh, you, you got. I had to divest myself of this character yeah, yeah, quickly. Yeah. Just get this guy off my face and get my hair. Uh, you know, yeah. just completely cleanse me. Cleanse me, cleanse please, me. through your magic <laughs> clippers, please. To uh, to go to the other extreme, there's the uh, yeah. ABCs of online dating. Oh right? my God! Where you play? I love this character, yeah. and thank you, Allison Howard, you dear, sweet, mm. wonderful, beautiful, talented person, you for inviting me to be a part of the web series, The ABCs of Online Dating. Uh, we all know the eHarmony guy who is the spokesperson that we see in the TV commercials. I will not mention his name. <laughs> Neil something, something, something. And we all know Dr. Phil, Dr. Right. Phil McGraw. So Allison and I came up with this character. Well, she came up with the character. I just developed it out a little more. Dr. Noah W. McGraw, yes, using Dr. Phil's real last name, who is the head of MeetMrAndMrsWright.com, an online dating service right. that inspires these adapted true-life dating experiences that these girls have had. 
uh, and they they see it. She actually got the domain name meet Mr. and Mrs. Right dot com that that uh, uh, forwards to the uh, ABC's of online dating website, and they're watching this commercial of uh, of Doctor Noah running this online dating service, and they've got some tremendously funny stories like a woman who actually thought she was meeting for lunch the date she had hooked up with online and it turns out that the mother of the guy shows up to check her out in advance oh, that's a funny story. that she was fronting for the guy and that's just one of several apparently true life but adapted stories for uh, the ABCs of online dating one. I can't yeah. wait to see that one. She's That's got four great. in the can. I think she's doing four or five more. Yeah, watch out for that. Yeah. Well, for more information about you, if somebody wants to hire your amazing voice or your spectacular... Uh, they call you and you get 20%. We're <laughs> okay. good to go. I like that. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> they, can, uh, they can always reach me uh, via email, and I don't mind giving this out because it's online. Uh, A-M-A-N-D-F-M. Yes, it spells out A-M and F-M. A-M and F-M at gmail.com. AM and FM is also my handle on Twitter. And, uh, and uh, to see more about what's going on with my career, there is a, uh, a lovely company called Yola, uh, Y-O-L-A, YolaSite.com. And my name before then, SteveRay.YolaSite.com, is my professional page. And you can see all kinds of samples and pictures and screen grabs and all that kind of good stuff. Awesome. Steve, yeah. thank you so much for coming on my podcast to oh, talk about so your welcome. life and your your story of recovery. And, yeah. Yeah, and you, it's so awesome to sit next to you and see you in your, all your glory. And your, <laughs> your, uh, yes, I'm bashful. I know that so, all social media is truly humble bragging. Yes. But this was a pleasure. And, and thanks yeah. for letting me ramble on with long, endless stories that had no consequence or meaning in the Well, end. it's so fun to listen to your voice because you have such a great voice. Oh, you have some remember, great pipes. And remember, Connie, please get this word out. Three words. Pay it forward. Love it. We'll leave it at that.